Welcome to the third Middle Market Junction podcast for the year. Today, we're going to take a dive into the retail REIT space. I'm Tanvi Acharya, retail reporter for DebtWire Middle Market. With me is Brad Thomas, a senior research analyst for iREIT Investor. Having worked as a real estate developer himself, Brad uses that background to analyze a variety of real estate-based income alternatives, including publicly traded REITs and real estate operating companies. The retail sector has been going through a significant shakeup for more than a year now, and that has rippled over to the landlords. Only two retail-focused REITs generated positive returns on equity for 2017, Regency Centers and Simon Property Group. And so we're going to discuss what to expect from the retail REIT space for this year. Thanks for joining us, Brad. Oh, you bet. It's glad to be on your, on your show. Thank you so much. So just starting off, you know, retail and grocery REITs, they were crushed last year to no one's surprise. Do you see this trend continuing or are we near the bottom in the space? That's a tough one to answer uh, in one sentence. Um, so... Tanvi, I think the, the first thing I'll say is that you, you can't tra- uh, paint all of the retail uh, REITs by the same brush. Uh, in other words, you have you know, higher quality uh, REITs, which we still believe are attractive today uh, for investors, and then we have the lower quality uh, REITs, which, which, I, which aren't attractive. Um, so it really comes down to uh, carefully analyzing each of the individual you know, companies and their portfolios and evaluating, you know, which, which, uh, which ones are going to be the winners and the losers in the retail sector. Got it. So Wheeler REIT is, uh, seems like it's one of the losers. They've been having a pretty tough time right now. What with the significant exposure to uh, Bilo and Vindixi, are its problems just due to what's going on in retail as a whole? Or are there some issues that are uh, unique to Wheeler? Yes, absolutely. Wheeler definitely has some unique, uh, unique uh, things that you must consider. Uh, you know, I first started covering Wheeler uh, a number of years ago. Actually, it was around 2012. At the end of 2012 is when I did my first research article on Wheeler, and I didn't come out with some very flattering news uh, at that time. Um, you know, the company was a small cap, so obviously, as an analyst, I always like to tell investors, or really prospective investors, that small cap uh, companies are certainly much more volatile uh, because there's not a whole lot of shares that are trading. And so you're you're subject to that, to really that volatility that exists uh, in a a company like like Wheeler. Um, So we came out in in November 2016 with with, fairly negative uh, report on on Wheeler. Uh, We followed up again in, in, uh, uh, excuse me, in 2012, I meant was the first article. Then we followed up in 2013, uh, with another, you know, another report, 14, 15, um, even in 15, uh, ironically, uh, January of 2015, um, the, uh, I really warned investors that Wheeler was uh, really a more dangerous stock. And there's a term that I, I use, uh, Tandy, called sucker yield. Uh, and um, you can find that uh, on Investopedia. But essentially, and I wrote the definition of the word sucker yield, but essentially that means this, this is a company whose dividend yield is too good to be true. Um, the company is uh, not covering its, its dividend from its, uh, from its earnings or, or funds from operations as we use in the REIT uh, sector. So, you know, I've, I've really been following Wheeler for a number of years, and it was no, no surprise to me when we see, we see uh, more recently the disruption 
of the company with some uh, management uh, moving away and, uh, and, uh, and the dividend that is now suspended. Can you elaborate more on what's going on with the management and what maybe they're trying to do to like, you know, make things better there? Sure. Well, remember, I mean, Wheeler, you know, went public a number of years ago, and the, 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 the previous CEO and founder, John Wheeler, uh, of course, had really no experience in the public uh, space. Um, he had really no, nobody within the organization that had experience in the public space. So the company shuffled the uh, CFOs uh, a number of times, and uh, the, 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 uh, the, the previous CFO uh, left, which was really a, a harbinger of, of things to come. And, of course, then more recently, uh, the board asked the CEO to, to leave, and so he was basically forced out, John Wheeler, and now you know, they, they've now brought in a, a, uh, another CEO, and it appears that the company is really positioning itself to be sold. Um, I've often said that I didn't believe that Wheeler even should, should have ever been a public company. Um, they didn't get, not only they didn't have the, you know, the management team uh, there that had any, any public experience, but they really, the assets really weren't uh, very high quality. Most of the properties were, were um, you know, what I consider to be lower quality, and, and by that, what I mean is that uh, they, they were a grocery-anchored, uh, you know, business model. So within the shopping center sector, you have, you know, power centers and community centers and grocery-anchored centers. And so they had a, basically a grocery-anchored center uh, uh, portfolio, but, but, which is great. And I, I like grocery-anchored properties. I think they're, to a certain extent, uh, somewhat recession-proof or re- recession-resilient. Um, because of the uh, defensive nature of the grocery revenue, you know, people have to eat. Um, but, but what I found uh, was, was the lower quality when, when comparing uh, Wheeler to, say, a Regency Centers, which is a, the, the largest grocery anchor REIT in the, in the, uh, in the U.S. Uh, Wheeler had uh, their grocery uh, anchors were, um, you know, the, the number three or number four chains in each market. So, you know, if you're going to invest in the grocery space, you need to you need to you know have those grocery anchors that that have dominant uh, market share that are either number one uh, in a market or number two. Uh, um, so, for example, companies like Publix, which really dominates Florida, or companies like HEB, which dominates in the in the Texas market. Uh, Wheeler just did not have those those dominating uh, grocery anchored uh, tenants. And so uh, that's, that's another reason that, you know, the company has really struggled out of the gate because they never were able to really put together a, you know, an impressive portfolio. And, of course, more recently we had the bankruptcy with Bilo and Dixie, uh, which, which was, a, you know, a fairly large uh, uh, concentration within Wheeler's portfolio. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, are there any other uh, REITs that are struggling, maybe not as much as Wheeler, um, but just, you know, don't have a good uh, concentration of tenants? You know, I mean, it, it, again, I think uh, a lot of these companies, you know, the, the, a lot of these, um, you know, retail REITs were, you know, were around prior to the, uh, the last recession. So, you know, we saw, you know, a number of companies like Kimco, um, um, DDR, uh, Weingarten, for example, those three, you know, they were, they were, uh, you know, in existence prior to 2008 and 2009. 
And I think they learned a lot of the lessons uh, of, of that period, which is to uh, really do two things. Uh, you, you've seen uh, a lot of these retail REITs starting to uh, really deleverage their balance sheet. And so they're, you know, one of the reasons that uh, a number of REITs were forced to cut their dividends in 2008 and nine were because they had uh, you know, higher levels of debt. They were really in a more dangerous uh, debt level zone. And so you see a number of REITs, and those three that I mentioned, Kimco, um, DDR, mm. Weingarten, also all uh, kind of decreased, started to deleverage, uh, and really move into a uh, recognizing that rates were eventually going to rise. Uh, they started to uh, fix a lot of their debt uh, and, 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 and really drive their, their credit rating to an unsecured so they could take out you know, unsecured debt so, you know, with Kimco is a great example. I mean, since 2009, you know, Kimco is a completely different company uh, today than they were in 2009 when the company did cut their dividend. Uh, but what they've done is they've transitioned, they've recycled uh, a number of properties, they've really focused on, on major, you know, major markets. Uh, they, they got out of their international exposure, which was, uh, you know, in, in uh, Mexico and Canada. Uh, and they got out of some of their non-core. They were in the hotel business at one point, and they had some other non-core holdings. So you, you've seen a number of these retail REITs who have really, uh, you know, again, kind of learned learn from the, 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 the tough days of the last recession. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons you don't see that, that you know, too many wheelers um, in, in the retail space because they, they, they all – a lot of these companies went through – you know, those tough times. Now, you also have companies like Retail Opportunity Investment Corporation, which the ticker symbol is ROIC. Um, and, and while the company, you know, started just coming out of the recession, uh, they started as a blind pool REIT, which basically means they aggregated about $500 million before purchasing their, their assets. Um, but, but they came out right in the recession and really took advantage of the, of the, of the buying opportunities in the space, ROIC focuses just on major uh, West Coast markets. Uh, that's all. That's all they do. They're really more of a tactical sharpshooter uh, in the in the grocery anchored space. And and when you compare, you know, a Wheeler to say an ROIC, there's really no comparison. You have, you know, ROIC has a has a, a fortress uh, balance sheet with really some of the best leverage metrics that you see in the REIT sector. Uh, they have uh, a focus just on these higher quality, densely populate, populated markets, uh, unlike Wheeler. And again, they've got a management team with years of experience in the retail REIT sector, and, uh, and they've done a great job of growing their dividends. So, you know, w- while there are certain shopping center REITs that, that perform better than others, I just don't see any any uh, any Wheeler uh, type you know retail REITs that is in in the uh, you know in the space. Got it, got it. Um, what about REITs like like maybe like Whitestone that don't have um, exposure to these really big uh, brand names that might be you know not doing well right now due to a tough retail atmosphere and might not be on the verge of uh, distress. How are how are they performing? Yeah, you know, Whitestone is an interesting uh, company. We've we've been covering that company for quite some time, too. And, um, you know, Whitestone, although they are a shopping center REIT and they do have retail, they're a little unique because 
most of their most of their properties are what I call specialty centers. So they don't they don't have uh, as much uh, you know anchor credit uh, exposure or grocery credit exposure. Uh, they've got a number of a lot of their centers are either unanchored or have a large large concentration of of specialty uh, local shop space. So you know when, when you look, so they're very diversified from that perspective. But they don't. But they don't have the credit uh, that you would have with with most any of these other uh, retail REITs. So you know a lot of these a lot of these tenants are uh, most of, in fact most of these tenants are not investment grade rated. They are just really you know mom and what I call mom and pop you know tenants. Uh, they may uh, some of them may be multi unit franchisees with you know two to three or four stores. So for example, a Subway franchisee uh, who operates in uh, in say a, a suburb of, of, of Phoenix, uh, who has three or four locations. So, so for one side says, you know, they've got really good diversification, but the other side, other other argument is they they are exposed to really a lot more risk. Uh, so when when we move into a recessionary environment uh, at some point, and I'm not at all suggesting that a recession is is on the horizon, but at some point uh, as we move into the recession. Uh, companies like like Whitestone are going to be exposed to considerably uh, more more risk because of um, you know the, the the strength of their of their tenant base. Um, also, I might add because rates are are increasing, um, that that will constrain uh, costs for a number of Whitestone's tenants. Again, these are just small businesses, uh, mom and pop owners, so their cost of capital uh, will will also uh, you know begin to increase. Um, and, and that could eventually put some, some pressure on, on Whitestone. Now, now, Whitestone also just focuses on really two, two core states right now, which is Texas and Arizona. Uh, they haven't really uh, moving outside of that, uh, that area yet. And so that, that does provide for some concentration risk, especially we saw that when we had the, the uh, sell-off in Houston uh, a, a number of quarters ago. And that really impacted the share price of Whitestone because of the exposure in the in the Houston market. Um, but this Whitestone is not really your traditional, you know, shopping center REIT again because they they really operate a, a number of like service type tenants, uh, you know, H and R Block, um, you know, just a variety of different companies that are in their in their locations. Um, and so, you know, Whitestone is also very similar to Wheeler in that. Um, you know the, the dividend is is certainly at a higher risk with with Whitestone because of their their uh, their payout ratio. And so, you know, as a read analyst, that's one thing that we spend a lot of time covering is a company's uh, you know dividend safety metrics and 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 the payout ratio is one of those um, metrics that, that that you know I, I, I stay really close attention to. Um, currently in 2018, uh, Whitestone is is forecasted. To generate uh, around uh, just below a dollar per share of adjusted funds from operations, which is uh, really the more purest uh, measure of earnings for a for a REIT, and um, and the dividend is a dollar fourteen. So even based upon the consensus estimates for Whitestone, the company is not covering its dividend from for normalized earnings. And that is a little concerning with Whitestone, and that's one reason you, you see this company yielding. 11% today is because the dividend 
appears to be, uh, uh, you know, at risk. Again, similar to what we saw with Wheeler before they suspended their dividend, uh, is the uh, is the that the company was not covering that dividend. Are, are these companies um, cutting dividend to keep their balance sheet stronger? Well, I mean, Wheeler did it twice, okay, and and um, and then uh, and then they suspended their dividend. So again, that's that's not what a public company should be doing in just the course of a, of a few years. Um, you know, it's 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 rare for a REIT to cut their dividend, and it really when a REIT cuts its dividend, it's really uh, it's a lot more um, problematic than a normal uh, C corporation uh, to cut its dividend. And remember, REITs by law are forced to pay out. Ninety uh, percent of their uh, taxable income, um, not their F- FFO funds from operations, but 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 REITs, you know, generally, uh, you know, pay out one hundred percent of their taxable income, and they they maintain some level of cushion or margin with their funds from operations um, for things that come up, and they're obviously you know capex, you know, REITs are real estate is capital intensive, so there are always you know capex expenses and leasing costs. And, 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 and ongoing maintenance that kind of goes into the, the operation of a REIT. Um, but, but when you see a company, a REIT, that's paying out over 90% and moving closer to 100% of their payout ratio, uh, that means they're going to have to, you know, find another way uh, outside of their funds from operations to cover their dividends. In, in the case of Whitestone, that's what you're seeing right now. Again, the company is um, clearly... Um, you know, they're, they're not covering their dividend. Their earnings are forecasted to be uh, around 12% uh, below the earnings of 2017 based on, you know, adjusted funds from our operations or AFFO metrics. So, and, and, uh, and another, you know, really sign or, or, or uh, yellow flag for Whitestone is the company has not increased the dividend uh, in a long period of time uh, since 2011. Uh, Whitestone has paid out a dollar fourteen a share, and they've never increased that dividend since since that time. So uh, that's not a good signal. Uh, you know, really healthy companies, whether it's a REIT or a or not a REIT, uh, a healthy company should should be able to increase their their dividends. And um, and Whitestone clearly has not been able to do that. And that's one reason that you've seen the shares you know really underperform today. And even over longer periods of time, because the company has uh, has really not uh, done a good job at, at growing its dividend at all. Have there been any retail REITs that have actually increased their dividend? Oh yes, a number of retail REITs. In fact, uh, we can go back to Tanger Factory Outlet. Uh, that's ticker SKT. Uh, they're the only pure play outlet center. Uh, Tanger has increased their dividend for over 25 years in a row. Uh, they are they are uh, defined as a dividend aristocrat, as S and P uh, you know categorizes uh, companies that have a 25 uh, year track record of dividend growth consistently. Uh, so so Tanger certainly uh, falls into that into that category. Uh, another one that falls in that category is Taubman, uh, which is a mall REIT ticker TCO. Taubman has never cut its dividend. In fact, they, the company has increased their dividend every year since going public, except in 2008 and nine. Uh, they they did not grow the dividend. They they maintain uh, that year, but the Tallman is another another really good example. Um, and I think in the in the uh, in the shopping center space, we have Erstat Biddle, uh, ticker UBA, um, which is not to be confused with their. Uh, they've got a Class A and a Class B version of their shares, but the the the, the common that we trade is UBA, ticker UBA. 
And Erstat Biddle has also increased their dividend for, I believe it's 23 years in a row, 22 or 23 years in a row. And again, they've never cut and they've increased every year since the company has gone public. Um, so there are a number of, you know, I could probably go on there. There, there's, there are quite a few others. I mean, Simon did cut their dividend, Simon ticker SPG. They did cut their dividend in 2008 and 9, but, but they gave, uh, their shareholders stock in lieu of, of dividends. So, uh, you know, if you were a shareholder in Simon, you probably did fairly well. Uh, but, uh, but, but again, I think there were definitely companies who cut. I mean, Timco is the one I've mentioned previously. They, they were forced to cut their dividend uh, really as an abundance of caution in 2008 and 9. And, uh, but they've, they've certainly been able to grow back their dividend uh, and become successful. Mm-hmm. So when a company cuts its dividend, it's not the, it's not the end of the world. But, but certainly it takes it, – it, it, you know, an, an investor loses trust when you, when you depend on a dividend, uh, especially if you're a, you know, a really a fixed income or a retired investor who depends on that, you know, that cash flow, then um, you know, in a dividend cut, it, it certainly uh, you know, uh, doesn't help. And nobody likes to lose money and see their, their, you know, their, their, uh, their principal uh, erode. But again, I think um, you know, that's really one of, for, for a retail investor, that's really important. Dividend growth is really a, a key part of the value proposition, and especially for REITs, because REITs, remember, have you know, lease contracts. Most every form of real estate, whether it's a, a shopping center REIT that has a 5, 10, or in the case of an anchor, 20-year lease, or an industrial building that has a 10-year lease, or even a hotel, which has a month, you know, a day-to-day lease, uh, it's all a hotel is, but 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 real estate have has lease contracts that provides for a very predictable um, source of income, and so when you see a company uh, like Wheeler who cuts their dividend twice and then suspends it, um, that's not a that's not a good sign at all. And to me, uh, it tells me that this company absolutely uh, should not be a publicly traded company. And if I had to predict. You know, the future of, of Wheeler, I would predict that the company uh, would not be a public company for a long, you know, extended period of time. Uh, I think at some point uh, there, you know, given the, the uh, you know, the, 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 the management shakeup and the more recent, um, um, you know, problems they've had with their, with their primary tenant, uh, Bilo Winn-Dixie, um, I, think, I think, you know, Wheeler is, is definitely, uh, I don't consider a long-term player in the publicly uh, traded space. Got it. And since we're speaking of predicting the future, uh, do you think the valuations will return to uh, from where they are now? Because now they're pretty low. Uh, or do you think are we witnessing a paradigm shift over here? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you have to really look at each each um, each of the subsectors of, of, of retail. So in the mall space, um, you know, we just had some news recently with um, with General Growth or GGP um, and um, and Brookfield, and and so recently that that was announced that Brookfield was made another offer to uh, buy GGP. Haven't gone into the details of that yet, but I do know it's a below market, you know, a below market, a lower price uh, than than a lot of analysts had had forecasted. And so the question is, does that mean that? Um, you know that, that this is a new trend that valuations for malls are going to be lower uh, than we've seen in years past. Uh, I don't think anybody really knows where we're going to normalize in terms of uh, valuations, um, but 
as long as uh, dividends continue to grow, uh, then you know we're going to be continuing to invest in the in the sector. Yeah, that sort of answers uh, my last question. I wanted to ask: um, Is there are there any opportunities in these uh, distress situations, or people should wait uh, for things to settle down a bit? You know, again, I think it really boils down to every investor has their own risk uh, tolerance. Um, you know, my perspective on this is that um, I think there's some great opportunities. I mean, I, you know, I wrote a book uh, with my co-author and I, uh, Stephanie Cruz and Kelly, uh, about a year and a half ago, called the Intelligent REIT Investor. And if you uh, if you're familiar with the Intelligent Investor, uh, Ben Graham, uh, I'm sure you, you that'll probably tell you uh, how I, uh, you know, how I think about stocks. And, and specifically about REITs, and that is I'm a value investor. I'm always looking for that wide margin of safety. And when I see companies like Simon, who has a four-chart balance sheet, who's A-rated, who's grown their dividend you know, by, by double digits almost every year. They didn't quite grow double digits this year, but they've, they've been able to report record earnings uh, year in and year out and really continuing to do so. Um, so when I see a, a Simon or a Tanger factory outlet uh, who is trading at really a substantial discount on all metrics, whether it's in that asset value, dividend yield, or, or funds from operations, when I see that substantial you know, margin of safety that exists and I've got all of the very high-quality fundamentals uh, looking at me, uh, that tells me it's a, it's a time to buy. So we've, got a, we've really not only got buys, we have strong buys on a number of these uh, REITs that we believe are well positioned uh, to continue to grow their dividend and really manage the risk that we're in right now. This period that we're in with um, you know with with the impact on e-commerce and uh, so again I, I think it's a good time to be uh, investing in retail. Uh, however, I always caution uh, investors that the really the simplest and cheapest form of margin of safety is diversification. So one should always remember to diversify across uh, multiple uh, property sectors if you're building your REIT portfolio. And that means uh, also uh, you know, pairing, if you're going to own a, a retail REIT, you probably should pair it with a, uh, with a data center REIT or with a cell tower REIT uh, because they're obviously benefiting from the uh, e-commerce uh, trade. So it's always good to, uh, to kind of hedge, hedge, hedge your bet. If you're going to invest in retail, I would definitely be also investing into the really the threat of retail, which is uh, data centers or cell towers or, or uh, the communications sector. Got it. Um, yeah, thank you so much again for joining us and uh, taking the time. You bet.